Hello there, Obi-Wan Kenobi here, and you're listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. The Force will be with you, always. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Galactic Republic, Confederacy of Independent Systems, and various mercenary factions vie for control of the galaxy in a seemingly never-ending conflict known as the Clone Wars. Caught in the middle of this epic struggle, the Jedi Knights strive to maintain order and civility in a deadly game that is being manipulated by the Dark Lords of the Sith. From the war-torn front lines, Michael Cohen, Matthew Krenke, and their dedicated team of analysts emerge as voices of truth and stability in these dark and deceptive times. Welcome, Star Wars fans, to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, the original podcast dedicated to the Clone Wars animated series. This is episode number 132 for the episode The Disappeared Part 1. I am your co-host, Matt the Crankster Cranky, and just coming off a birthday and getting ready to talk some Clone Wars, your host and creator, Michael Cohen. What's up, Mike? Uh, hey, uh, not not too much. Uh, Made it through your birthday I mean, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, everything was great. Uh, it was uh, it was a good, we had a good uh, barbecue over the weekend. The, the weather on Saturday, which is when we had the barbecue, was beautiful, mm-hmm. and then Sunday it was like torrential downpour, so we uh, we lucked out, so it was good. So, yeah, everything's very good, very uh, good. everything's nice on my end. Yeah, everything's uh, good over here. You know, we're coming off of uh, the Memorial Day weekend. It's Monday. Yeah, and we're just wrapping up this nice long weekend and getting ready to get back into the grind that is the work. Yeah, work week. So, but before we do that, we can talk some Clone Wars, man. Let's talk some Clone Wars, Mike. Uh, yeah, totally. So, news. Uh, just real quick before we get into the episode, um, the Clone Wars. You know, featured the return of Darth Maul, and it was a crazy ride. And at the end of the ride, Mike, we got a teaser that he actually survives uh, the, his battle with Darth Sidious, mm-hmm. and he had he had future uses for him. Well, it looks like we found those future uses. Uh, there's a four-part comic series out called Star Wars: Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir. Written by Jeremy Barlow, and it just came out on the 21st, I believe. Picked up the first issue, read it. Um, uh, so let's just talk about it real quick. My, you know, I wasn't like, I'll just start off real quick. It wasn't like, I wasn't like totally blown away or anything like that. But yeah, it's an interesting, you know, we got to, I mean, this is, this is what happens to Darth Maul, apparently. So I'm excited to see where this goes. It was a fine first issue. You know, we got some Count Dooku. I won't spoil anything. We got some Dooku. We got some yeah. Sidious. We got some Mandalore people. We got some Mandalorians. And we got, of course, Darth Maul. So, like I said, not a huge, like, didn't blow me away or anything, but it's a it's a good beginning, and we'll see where we go. What did you think of the first issue? Yeah, I mean, it was all right. Uh, the the art was was decent. I mean, I, yeah. there's there's definitely better artists out there, but it was but it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Which you know, for a, for one of the Dark Horse comics, uh, that has always been one of my biggest complaints is how inconsistent the art can be in some Star Wars comics, like. The uh, the 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 uh, 
Mm, what's his name? Brian Wood. Uh, right. His his ongoing Star Wars series right now mm-hmm. uh, has at least the first two volumes. I don't know. I don't know about now, but the first two volumes uh, have has a great artist, um, and uh, and that that comic looks great. But most of the time, I find Star Wars comics, especially the Clone Wars stuff has been a little bit lackluster because they're not quite hitting the style of the clone wars, but they're not really doing something different. Mm -hmm. So like, that's what, that's what it felt like with this. And to be honest, like that's my overall review of the first issue is it felt like clone wars, but not quite, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it just kind of missed the mark on the quality. Like it was just, just not there. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really close. And it's uh, if for those who need closure on what happens with Darth Maul and uh, and and uh, Darth Sidious. Uh, well, there it is. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to hold up with the continuity, though, right? Because we've kind of we've kind of wiped the continuity. Mm-hmm. But then this is is this technically part of the clone wars that's, is you know, this that's a good part question. of the old continuity like yeah, is this part yeah. of the comic series continuity because the comic book series continuity for the clone wars is not counted right they, that's expanded universe that doesn't count so mm-hmm. like where does this fit in at what point do we know yes this is it and at what point are they going to come back and and uh you know, tell another story. Like, what? At what point does he show up in Rebels, and then we get the the conclusion there? You know, so mm-hmm. so I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how this lasts. Um, but but as of as of right now, like it, it's I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I want to see where they're going, but it did feel a little bit rushed. Mm-hmm. I think. So. Well, this is. I- if, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this is supposed to be canon, right? I mean, this is what was supposed to. I guess we were going to see something of this nature in the Clone Wars, maybe in in a season, you know, full season six, seven, or eight. I don't know, but I I did obviously. We I think we've all heard that this is supposed to be canon, but like you said, how does it fit into, you know, because it never really was on TV, yeah, you know, and and where does where do they draw the line on that? I you know, I guess for now we're going to consider this canon. And, and then we'll see, like you said, where it goes from there. You know, um, this thing is supposed to end uh, in August 20th. It's a four-part series. It opens yep. up, for anybody who just wants to know, it opens up with, uh, not too big of a spoiler, it's just the opening. It opens up with Darth Maul captured, because we, we kind of knew what happened. He was getting, I think, uh, force lightning at the very end. But he's yeah. captured, and he's in a cell, and it, and it starts from there. So that's kind of where, where the jumping off point is. But um, yeah, it was a real quick. I mean, a real quick read. Yeah, you, you go through that ep- that first ep- uh, that first uh, comic in just a matter of minutes. I mean, it's really quick. Just a quick little backstory, not backstory, but setting up where he's at, and then the, and the emperor and the and Dooku's plan. They have this plan that's, I guess, we're starting from this, and we're gonna get some kind yeah. of plan or something. So, yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. Like I said, it didn't blow me away, but uh, hey, it's Star Wars, Darth Maul. I'm I'm on board. I love it. So. Totally. That is where we're at as far as any Clone Wars news, um, and I'm sure we'll. Well, I think we'll have time to to talk about how this thing ends in the overall. Uh, oh yeah. In the overall yeah, scheme sure. of things, in maybe our one of our last episodes or. On yeah. Main. So we'll see. See how that goes. Anything else you wanted to hit? Before yeah. You jump uh, yeah on the twenty second. So I guess that would have been Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Mm-hmm. 
we got uh, a, a surprise announcement. Uh, nobody really oh, saw this yeah. one coming. Yeah. But uh, Gareth Edwards, right. director of uh, most recently Godzilla, which is, is currently in theaters. I mean, it was number one two weekend, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Mm-hmm. Um, X-Men knocked it out of the number one spot this week. But... I uh, but yeah, Godzilla, which is a fantastic movie. Uh, I saw it and I loved it. So I uh, yeah, Gareth Edwards directing and Gary Whitta writing. So uh, writer of uh, the Book of Eli, uh, but more importantly, the uh, the BAFTA award winning Telltale Games adaptation of The Walking Dead. Which for anybody who plays video games, they know like that. When you say like, oh, so and so wrote a video game, that's not usually the sort of thing that you're like, oh, well, then they'll make a great movie writer, right? You're kind of like, oh, well, we'll see how this goes. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Walking Dead video game, the the ones by Telltale, are very story-driven. They're what's called adventure games. So that it's much more about character interaction and choice than it is... Uh, you, I mean, you, you don't... It, there's no... You don't point guns at things and shoot and that sort of thing. There's not a not a shooter or a brawler or anything like that. So it's very much dependent on writing. Mm-hmm. And he was part of that team. So that is, uh, that. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's a really great uh, duo to be putting together. It's very interesting because Gareth Edwards, uh, director of Godzilla and previous to that, Monsters, which was a really interesting, suspenseful, sort of sci-fi uh, movie. Uh, and uh, and de- uh, definitely done on the cheap without a lot of effects and that sort of thing, like as much practical stuff and as, as little um, on screen as he could manage. So like kind of leaving things to the imagination. And then you get Gareth, uh, sorry, Gary Whitta, who, who is working on something like The Walking Dead, which is very horror-based. Um, and the two of them together... I don't know. That that seems like an interesting combination. So, uh, a lot of people are speculating that this is maybe the Boba Fett movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something else entirely. I, I think this is something different. But there's the biggest part right here, slated for December 16, 2016. Yeah. So that means like we were all psyched and going nuts because we're getting another Star Wars movie in 2015, right? Like it's it's uh, about a year and a half away and uh and now we're told oh no you're a year and a half away from from episode seven but you're also two and a half years away <laughs> yeah. from the first standalone Spin-off. film which is going to yeah. be like and then the year after that is going to be episode eight and then the year after that's a standalone and then the year after that is episode nine like i i think we're used to it with with superhero movies now i mean we get two marvel movies a year mm-hmm. and and that's kind of the status quo at this point if, if marvel wasn't going to release two movies in a year i think everybody would get really upset and and really worried but never in my life did i think oh yeah we'll get a star wars movie every year every year every Jeez. year as well <laughs> as 16 episodes of star wars rebels right and like and 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 books and comics Video and everything games, else yeah. like like this is this is ridiculous news and this is really cool news for star wars fans uh there's a lot of people who are maybe a little bit worried that 
Uh, they might water down the franchise by putting out right. so many movies. But I think what they need to do is they just need to keep the tones separate, right? So mm. one is the saga, and then the other one's going to be who knows, right? So, right. I mean, by by, by the, the two guys that are involved, it makes me think that, that you know, something... Um, something a little bit more suspense driven something a little bit more of a thriller uh, uh, horror vein uh, which could fit with Boba Fett I mean that's not there's nothing to say that that wouldn't fit with Boba Fett but it definitely feels like an underworld sort of situation mm-hmm. um, where, where we're going to be dealing with some of the darker tones of Star Wars so I'll have to wait and see for more information on that exactly what that movie is going to be about but right now we know we have two Star Wars movies in the near future and that's something to be happy about. I think that's, oh, yeah. that's well, pretty you, great. Yeah, you, you mentioned that are we going to get you know oversaturation time but you know it's like the Marvel stuff it just seems like it's getting better and better. Yeah. And, uh, nobody's getting tired of that so I don't think that's going to be too big of a problem. This Gareth guy I don't know too much about him he's got just a handful of directing credits looks like he's already attached to Godzilla 2 and then uh, of course this Untitled and we've heard you know Mike we've also heard some stuff about some of these these untitled stuff being like you said Boba Fett, Han Solo, and then they also heard. Did you hear the one about uh, uh, not Rogue Squadron, but uh, it's called like Red? How was it? Red, Red Five. Red, yeah. Red Five, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. So all kinds of speculation, but I think you said it best. It's like we're getting Star Wars. Like that's we forget about that. We're getting Star Wars every year from 2015 on. We're gonna be getting something every year. So, yeah. Gosh, what an exciting time. And plus, like you said, plus the all the series and the video games and maybe new TV series that we don't even know about yet, maybe live action stuff. So, gosh, man, it's it's just crazy. I mean, never thought just a few years ago this was ever going to happen. And, and here we are just on the, on the cusp of just tons and tons of Star Wars. So great time to be a Star Wars fan. Anything else uh, before we hit this... Uh, episode Mike? No I think that's it we're ready to, to jump into some Jar Jar action. Jar Jar yes Yoda my old friend it is I Qui-Gon Jinn. The voice I hear does not come from within but speaks from beyond You must complete what I could not Come to Dagobah the answers you seek are here the creation of the clone army kept secret from us. Cypher DST. Protocol 66 must not be discovered by the Jedi. Yes, Lord Tyrannus. I'm afraid I'm trapped. You must face the gravest of journeys to Morgon. Down! Thanks. It wasn't you I wanted to save. This is stretching it even for you, sir. Rax, you're beginning to sound like Obi-Wan. CT5555. No clone uses a number. I am Fives. Call me Fives. The difference is minimal. Not to me. And not to any clone. All right, Mike, here we go with The Disappeared, and we're on uh, part one. An immense hologram of Queen Julia, monarch of Bordata, dominates the Senate chambers, where she requests aid from the Supreme Chancellor. Before Palpatine can introduce his hand-picked ambassadors, Bail Organa and Padme Amidala, Julia specifically requests that Jar Jar Binks be the Senate representative. Within the Jedi Council, the Jedi Masters discuss Julia's surprising choice of delegate. 
Via hologram, Palpatine is at a loss to explain the Queen's selection and hopes that the Jedi will intervene. He continues to brief the Council, several of the Degoyne Masters, an ancient order of mystics on Bardata, have vanished. The Degoyan Masters have an affinity for the Force, but connect to it passively as seers and visionaries. The Bardanan people had long had an aversion to the Jedi Order over the mistaken belief that the Jedi Knights were child abductors. As a result, Queen Julia has not requested a Jedi presence, a decision Mace Windu believes to be a mistake. With the agreement of the Council, Mace voluntarily or volunteers to accompany Representative Binks. So, Mike, we're on, and we got a couple of first appearances here. Um, first appearance of the planet Bardata, so this is a new planet. Yep. And of course, a uh, first appearance of Queen Julia. And if you look at the the behind the scenes of the of the Star Wars um, behind the scenes of this particular episode, uh, not necessarily a new uh, species. I think we saw Rats Terrell in Episode One, a kind of the shorter version of this, this these Bardana people. So yeah, uh, but the first time for for the Queen and, and, and this series. But so what's going on here, Mike? We got this Queen Julia who, you know, needs some help, obviously. And, and this is this is one of those episodes, Mike, where it kind of gets into that. I almost think of it as like a um, the, uh, the what were the episodes? God, I'm drawing a blank real quick on the ones where, where Anakin, they go to the planet and, and time stops for a second. God, what am I? Uh, the Mortis Trilogy. The Mortis Trilogy. Just because they're talking about this... The force and the force powers and the and these these uh, Degoyan masters. So it's get it's getting to get real deep in here, and you got to really pay attention to what's going on. But uh, the first part here, and what I liked about this first part was we've always we've seen a couple episodes where they talk about or we've seen Jedi going to get children, and they're very very young, and they're being you know asked to come to the order. Well, here is a species that thought that they were getting taken you know, by force. And this is like, wow, you know, you never thought of the Jedi going out and just, and, and being that way. But these people, this is how they see it. They, they, they thought of it as, hey, they're taking uh, our kids away from us against our will. So very interesting kind of beginning to this episode. What'd you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a, an interesting uh, plot mechanic to get the characters there. And uh, but I, I think it's much more interesting once we get there and we start to see mm-hmm. what this culture is like because I think it's very different from any of the cultures that we're used to seeing mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. Like we're, we're used to seeing a lot of very um, uh, American influenced, uh, uh, Western influenced, um, and then uh, Middle East and African influenced. And, uh, and and even some Asian stuff, but mm-hmm. but the, this is very much um, Bardada is very very uh, I don't know if it's like it, it's kind of it's interesting because it's a mix of things. It's very like there's a little bit of like like the Indian Indian yeah sort definitely. of sort right. of uh, uh, influence and culture going on there. There's also a little bit of the uh, like a Himalayan, which is, is similar, right? Like it's the same same similar region of the world, but uh, other aspects of it, right? Like there there's kind of all of these different parts because like the the being uh, hidden away in the mountains sort of thing, like mm-hmm. felt very very much like that. A lot of the um, a lot of the artistry is very uh, like the the architecture and and everything uh, is very uh, sort of Himalayan 
looking, you know, mm-hmm. like sort of that Shangri-La uh, sort of uh, aspect to it. So, so I, it's a, it's a, I, I really like this uh, where this takes the Star Wars universe because it's a, it's a completely new thing, right? Like it's different from from what we're used to seeing, which I'm always happy to see something new. Yeah, and, and it, it it brings up uh, also, you know, like you said, like why are we at this new place with this new with these new creatures that we haven't seen in, in this kind of form before. And uh, they talk about how the, the, the conflict is galaxy-wide. So again, they're showing how how deep and how far this conflict has gotten. I mean, it's really just kind of gotten out of hand. It's just going crazy now. It's going out to these worlds that would never have been touched before. Now, this is how far it's spread. So the, the Republic has to go and, and do what they can and help. And yeah. and uh, But I, I mean, yeah, I'm really interested about the strong but passive connection to the force that these people have. And, and we'll get into that uh, here in a second. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, yeah. Uh, before long, Mason Jar Jar pilot a Jedi T-6 shuttle to the mountainous world of Bardada. Jar Jar explains to Mace that he has known Queen Julia for a long time. The shuttle sets down at the Dagoyan Temple on Bardada, where it is met by dignitaries High Seneschal Patin and Savat. Flanked by honor guards, Patine greets Windu coldly, saying he was uninvited, but Jar Jar vouches for him. Per custom, Savat sorry, is Savate or Savat? I think I it's Savat. Yeah, Savat asks Windu to hand over his lightsaber. The delegates are escorted into the temple's candle-lined royal audience chamber, where the Baktov Council presides. The striking Queen Julia sits at the head of the chamber in the largest throne but seven of the twelve thrones are conspicuously vacant. Julia questions Mace's presence, but Jar Jar explains that Windu is actually his servant. Julia accepts this, but asks for Mace to leave. The Jedi Master is escorted out of the chamber, and the Queen worriedly tells Jar Jar that she fears an ancient prophecy is coming true. The Dagoyan Masters are vanishing. Should they disappear from the galaxy, darkness will arise and engulf everything. Jar Jar is committed to stopping this. Julia asks the rest, rest of the Boktav Council to leave, to give them a moment of privacy. Alone, Julia embraces and kisses Jar Jar, her love, and invites him to meditate with her. So this is the big surprise, right? Yeah. This is where it, it gets really interesting. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Mike. Uh, as far as Jar Jar concerned, like you said, we go from political episodes to Jar Jar. I was a little concerned, like, what, what's going on? But you know what? Jar Jar really doesn't bother me. Um, and it was great to hear, you know, his original voice. We had All My Best back doing Jar Jar, and, it, you know, it just put, brings you right back to the prequel trilogy. So I thought that was cool. And you know what? Here it is. You know, the comedy that they did with this it wasn't that bad, you know. It wasn't the the typical Jar Jar stepping in poop or whatever, you know, like yeah. on episode one. It was kind of subtle. I mean, I like the fact that he 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 put, calls Mason as his his uh, what do you call him his servant like or something like that. Yeah. And, and Mace gives him kind of a look. Okay, that was cool. And what really I thought was really funny, and it kind of came out of the blue, Mike, was when if you notice when they kiss, Jar Jar's leg kind of goes up in the air. You know, real yeah. subtly, like a girl would do, right? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. I started laughing. That was kind of clever. I kind of like that. So, the the comedy that was in this episode, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it didn't it didn't bother me at all. It wasn't anything like I said, any stupid 
you know, stepping in poop or, or yeah. kick, getting kicked in the balls or whatever like he did in, in, by the droid in episode one. So uh, I thought it was kind of cool. But here, but the crazy thing is Jar Jar had a love interest back. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, that was, I did not see that coming. You just figured he would have, he'd be with his, his own his own people but apparently he's got some kind of history with this queen julia so that's the reason why she asked for him and him alone so you know i don't know exactly what he was going to do you know i don't know <laughs> maybe she doesn't know him as as well as she thinks she does i mean this is jar jar we're talking about here but uh we'll find out some more what happens uh later on when he actually gets in the mix of this uh the next day you want to take anything else mike before we go on no no go ahead. okay uh the next day mace paces the hallways outside the royal apartments talking to yoda via hologram Windu senses a great disturbance in the force, but it is difficult to pinpoint. When Mace approaches the chamber, the Dugoyan guards bar his entrance. Not even a mind trick will get them to lower their guard. Mace then walks away. Curious as to what he is up to, the guards follow him around the corner. Mace gives them a slip and works his way back to the apartments. Inside the royal apartments, Jar Jar and Queen Julia practice a form of Bardotan meditative exercises. She confides in Jar Jar that she has discovered a terrible secret buried within the rippling waves of the Force. When the Dugoyan masters began disappearing, she meditated to try, uh, try to discover their whereabouts and stumbled upon a terrible plot. Julia does not trust anyone else with this information, so she is angered when Mace barges into the apartments. Julia orders the guards to take Mace away. Jar Jar promises to handle this and escorts Mace out of the apartments. Windu demands an update from the Gungan. Jar Jar explains that he has spent the night rekindling a romance with Queen Julia. Mace worries that Jar Jar is jeopardizing the mission, but Jar Jar explains that it is only Queen Julia's love for Binks that allows for a Republic presence on Bardata. Mace gives Jar Jar a calm leak and instructs him to keep him updated. When Jar Jar returns to the royal apartments, he is shocked to find that Julia has disappeared. The guards are at a loss, and she has vanished from a closed room like the other Dugoyan masters. The guards call for an emergency session of the Bakhtav Council. The Queen said no interruptions. Jar Jar, I asked you here because I trust you, because I know you will be able to help me in ways others cannot. Miss, I hope so, my lady. You will let me inside. You should know better, Master Jedi. That will not work on a Dagoyan. <laughs> I have discovered a terrible secret, buried within the rippling waves of the Force. Uh, maybe it's a best to get Master and Mace to hear this? No, Jar Jar. Only you. I must tell you, I cannot trust the Jedi with this secret. When Masters started disappearing, I meditated to try and discover their whereabouts. But what I saw was shocking. I stumbled upon a terrible plot. Excuse the intrusion, Your Majesty. <gasps> I will not excuse you. Where are the guards who told you to enter? The guards had other business to attend to. We apologize, Your Majesty. The Jedi slipped past us. You see, Jar Jar, these Jedi are deceptive, as I said. Julia Queenie, uh, but you said let Nisa handle this. 
I promise the Jedi Master and Mace will be some no trouble for you. <gasps> Very well, Jar Jar. Take him out of my sight. I will wait right here for you. So the first thing about this, Mike, is I like the fact that here's another species that is not susceptible to the Jedi mind trick. So we've seen that a few times now in the movies and, and just another species here that, that doesn't fall for that trick. But there's always a way around it. Mace is a pretty talented Jedi. He's able to, to lure them away and, and get into what he wants. But what is the secret? I mean, she has a secret, right? And I, we obviously find out at the end, but... This is still one of those bizarre, you know, I'm still racking my brain around this, like, I guess we can talk about it more when we get to the actual scene about them sucking the force out, but that, mm -hmm. that is the secret she has, and it's just like, wow, I mean, this is really some, you got to really put the thinking cap on this, because I am still trying to figure out what the heck is going on. I mean, I had no idea you can actually pull the force out of somebody and, and put it in some kind of a container and and possibly use it later on. I, I don't know where we're going with this, but that's the only thing I can think of. What else? Why else would they be using this uh, this procedure to pull force out of these mystics? So I don't know, man. I'm I'm totally out of loss right now. What, can you help me out with that? Uh, I well, well, I could, but, but oh, I don't want to spoil the second episode. <laughs> oh, it's part of the yeah. second. Oh shoot! Here we go. Okay, that's that's just me not being up to date on everything. So yeah, yeah. Um, so what what else about this particular? particular scene anything you want to highlight as far as this scene or is it uh, I, I just think it's interesting how how this culture doesn't doesn't um revere the jedi like so many others oh do. yeah yeah uh, and in fact they they kind of have a distaste to the towards jedi i, I think that's interesting i think that's really cool yeah i mean um, she he comes in and she you know what is he doing here get him out of here uh, and the whole the whole kidnapping of the kids back that's the whole part of this story is is the kidnapping so uh, is that at all going to be explained or is that all we get it's just they used to i it's just it's mostly just sort of like flavor for understanding okay. why right okay why the degoyans don't like the jedi very much mm -hmm. okay okay go ahead uh the hurried counselors nervously take their seats as savat calls for order High Seneschal Patine declares that the dis disappearance of the Degoyan masters and the queen is proof that the prophecy is being fulfilled. If Julia does not return in three rotations, then she will be gone forever and a new era of darkness will rise throughout the galaxy. Mace Windu steps forward to speak, but is shouted down by the Bakhto of Council, uh, who proclaim the Jedi to be a harbinger of doom. Jar Jar speaks, vouching for Mace, and assures the council that Queen Julia has called him to help solve this mystery. Mace must speak through Jar Jar to find answers. So Jar Jar asks about the origin of the prophecy. Savat explains the prophecy was spoken by the uh, Frangwal, sorry, Frangal clan, worshippers of an ancient demon, Malmoral. An ancient Frangal shrine is buried deep beneath the Dagoyan temple, a cursed place that no one enters. Mace decides that is where they must begin their search. Jar Jar announces as much, drawing the applause of the Bakhtov Council. So here's another thing too: this darkness that will rise throughout the galaxy, and and these people see Mace as the harbinger of doom. They see him as the reason that this kind of these problems that they're having is actually accelerated. Now the queen's gone, and uh, they're losing people left and right. So. 
darkness through the galaxy what in the heck so again mike i guess we're we're talking that we'll find the answers uh the next episode as far as what this particular darkness is yeah yeah uh there's i mean there, there was a little bit in this one but but yeah there's there's more to it okay and this is where we get into uh well actually you know what we'll, we'll hold off let me do this one paragraph and then we'll talk about uh the definite callbacks to another sure. george lucas stellar franchise each holding a torch savat leads mace and charger into a darkened corridors beneath the temple savat explains to the uh, worlders that long ago the frangal ruled bardata for most of its early history warriors and barbarians they exhibited a spirituality that gave them power savat returns to mace his lightsaber hopefully or hopeful that the jedi master will not have need of it as the trio approaches a set of three altars set into the ancient stone walls Jar Jar spots a fragment from Queen Julia's headdress in a passageway. Jar Jar picks, up, picks it up and examines it, but is suddenly accosted by a masked figure who blows sparkling dust into his face. Jar Jar recoils and tries to shake the dust off his hands. His hands glow with the otherworldly blue light, and Jar Jar begins to vanish. A heavy stone door intersects the corridor where he stands, sealing him off from Mace and Savat. Mace uses the force to push the door open, but when he runs into the chamber, Jar Jar is gone. Only his torch remains. Mace orders Sabat to return to the temple to get help, while he, uh, while he will find uh, Jar Jar. Mace are not liking this place. No way. taken just like the queen you go back and get help i'll go after him so mike here we go we're getting really into obviously temple of doom uh just i mean just the whole imagery and, and the sacrificial element yeah. to it I mean, it, it, we talked. You talked earlier about some of the other influences. I mean, definitely the Indian influence, uh, of course, Temple of Doom, and then I also got kind of like a Mayan type of uh, feel from it, just from like the sacrifice portion of it. Not not as a sacrifice, yeah. but like the altar, and they go down and and are caught up in this thing, and all the energy's pulling out. So just a bunch of different elements of different cultures all put in into this. Yeah, yeah, definitely the the Temple of Doom. I mean, that was that just kind of kicked you right in the face, huh? Yeah, so there's uh, actually in both of these episodes, they're very Indiana Jones inspired, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I, I that's one of the things that one of the reasons why why when people ask me about this season, I say, oh yeah, there's some really cool stuff. Even the Jar Jar episodes are really cool. 
and they go, really, the Jar Jar episodes? And it's like, well, you kind of, you have yeah. to watch them, yeah. and you'll understand why they're, they're kind of cool, right? Like, they have this, this really neat uh, Indiana Jones vibe going on in them, and I, I don't know, I just think it's, uh, I just think it's really, really interesting. It's a really neat uh, uh, aspect of Star Wars that we get every so often, but this is kind of like the, uh, a little bit like the, um, uh, I don't want to give away anything, so like I'll say it's 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 very similar to to the youngling arc where okay. where we got a little bit more of the mystical side of things, mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's connected to some other Star Wars things. I mean, you you mentioned the Mortis trilogy earlier, right? And that's definitely one thing, uh, one place where you can see see some influence, mm-hmm. um, and and this is sort of a similar type of area okay. in this uh but yeah I, I just i think it's really cool when we get to see other parts of the the galaxy check those out so yeah did you notice I, I think it's exciting i noticed like the masks of the whoever these people are down there i guess they're the marmor i'm not exactly sure which are they, the frangle cult i guess we call them is yeah the frangle they have these yeah. masks and they all they kind of look like the masks from the catacombs of of like um, the the episodes with uh, the Queen. Uh, gosh, man, I'm just having a trouble remembering things today as far as <laughs> past episodes. But um, the insect uh, episodes. Gosh, dang. oh, the the landing at Point Rain. Yeah, like the, yeah. the Geonosian stuff. The Geonosian yeah. stuff. I mean, the masks that they had. I don't know if you noticed that, but for those yeah, of you no, listening, yeah, check it a out. Similarity. Yeah, the, especially the masks. It kind of looked like the Queen almost. Uh, from from those episodes, so that was that was kind of interesting. I first thing I noticed that was that, but yeah, tremendous influences on on Temple of Doom there. So does it does the next episode get into it, any other references to to Indiana Jones or just kind of like the Temple of Doom type of vibe? No, really it, it definitely does. The next episode has more Indiana Jones type stuff in it. Um, maybe not quite as heavy as this one because this one is very temple of doom yeah this is pretty heavy the other one like there's some some other indie type references yeah no like you said too it's pretty heavy i mean some of the stuff you're like wow i mean the the sacrifice type stuff i mean even though not sacrificing you're just pulling the energies of the force energy out but it's it's some pretty heavy stuff so it's and like i said we'll get into a little bit more of what the heck actually is going on but uh go ahead can you continue mike uh, a masked Frangal cultist carries the writhing yet invisible form of Jar Jar over his shoulder and shoves the panicking Gungan into an iron cage. Jar Jar is in a massive cave, a sacrificial chamber of the Frangal cult that crackles with supernatural energies. His cage is hoisted up to a gantry from which other cage, from which hang other cages. The spell that has rendered him invisible fades and Jar Jar comes face to face with Joseph, one of the Degoyan masters of the Royal Council. The missing masters are similarly suspended in cages. They despair that they will be sacrificed to Malmoral, demon of war. The cages dangle over a massive volcanic vent, crossed by bridges of heat-blasted stones. On this structure is a massive carved creature head that crackles with unknown magic. This is Malmoral. An oiled slide extends from the monstrous mouth up to a sacrificial altar. So this is where we get the, you know, and I kind of missed it the first time, the, the, the head. 
So yeah, sacrificing these energies, and we find out where the rest of the the uh, Dagoyan masters—they're all right here. They're all in these cages, and they're all being yeah. sacrificed to this Malmural uh, god that they're going to take the force energies into this little orb. So, uh, but yeah, man, tremendous. You know, like I said, it's pretty deep, pretty dark stuff. So just like the Temple of Doom was, I mean, most people talk about how we were just talking about this yesterday. My parents were over and they were talking about Indiana Jones and, and how they didn't really care for Temple of Doom just because it was so dark. Uh, when you're not used to that in, a, in an Indiana Jones type of, at least when you saw the first one, you weren't expecting the second one to be so dark and so uh, heavy as it was. So. Yeah, definitely a heavy episode. Uh, Jar Jar Binks' spirits rise when Mace contacts him via comlink. The Jedi Master tells Jar Jar to stay put so he can track his signal. The Frangal cultists begin to flip levers that pull the chains holding the cages. One of the Captain Nagoya Masters is lowered into a horde of cultists. The shaking of his cage causes Jar Jar to clumsily drop his comlink, and a cultist smashes it to pieces with, his, with a staff. Jar Jar spots Queen Julia chained to a platform. With a weary voice, she tells Jar Jar the cultist horrible plan. They are stealing the force within us. The Frango cult leader holds a shimmering green orb over his head as part of a ritual sacrifice. He pushes the helpless Dagoyan master down the oily slide and into a webbing of crackling energy suspended above Malmural's maw. The energy tears the force from the, from the Dagoyan master's body and shoots it into the orb. So here it is, Mike. They're stealing, like we talked about this episode, they're stealing the force within all of these Dagoyan masters because they're very powerful and they have a lot of force energy, apparently. Uh, not necessarily the fighting kind, but the, the inner kind and the spiritual kind. And they even talk about how they're going to steal it from Jar Jar, even though he might barely have any. You know, uh, Anakin had, what, 20,000? And Jar Jar maybe has a couple. But hey, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. You know, he's there. Let's sacrifice him. Let's pull the energy out of him, too and uh, put it in this orb so again i'm i'm a little obviously just only seeing this episode it's it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on but it looks like they're they're stealing this energy they're going to take this orb they're taking it somewhere and they're going to harness it or use it somehow so that's all i know that's all i can come out of this episode and uh, is there anything you can say that can for those of us who maybe haven't seen it or is how is this? I mean, what is what is going on here? How is this working? I mean, is we're getting answers to this. I, I hope. Something yeah. Oh, be- yeah. Definitely. Like, like. I mean, maybe not. Not the uh, the mechanics of of the taking the force out of out of Jar Jar or anybody else uh, for that matter. But uh, the purpose of all of this is made clear in the next episode, and it's actually. I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't want to ruin it because it is actually a pretty cool surprise. Now. Um, okay. So. Okay, now one of these Dagoyan masters, I think the high priest yeah. guy, actually speaks in basic at the very end. Yeah. Did, is there any revelation as to who these people are? I mean, is it some? Is it is that a revelation, or does it have no really effect on the episodes? I I I mean I it. Mm, I mean, is it a shock? I'm trying to, to be find careful. Out who it is? Okay. I I have to watch the next episode again because okay. it has been a while. So I, I like once I watch the next episode, I'll be able to, to connect all the dots back and forth between these two. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember exactly how much of it carries over. 
um, with characters or whatnot. I don't really think that much does. Okay. But because uh, really, like, it's it's a matter of uh, we'll get to it in a second. But once they deal with the cult, then they have to go on to to recover the queen, right? Right. So, um, yeah, like it, it's. There's more going on than just this cult. Okay. It's it's bigger than that. But uh, it's it's a, it's a pretty surprising who who's actually behind all of this. Oh, okay, good. Wow, yeah. that's a nice little tease right there. Yeah, I, I just I heard that because they were talking in their own language and all of a sudden he's speaking English and I go and they're all covered in these giant these headdresses. So I'm wondering, yeah. you know, is you know, are we gonna get some kind of revelation as to who is behind stealing the force? And so I wonder they, if, like, if is the emperor behind this? Or the emperor. Uh, I'm, not gonna say, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to. He has had his hands in everything this this season. So anyway. he has. Yeah, yeah. But I I will say that like I think we're we're meant to believe, or at least the Bardottons are meant to believe that this is the Frangal cult, and it, it it might not necessarily be them. Like it definitely is in in part um, because I I oh man I was just reading it a second ago. I, uh, I, uh, Patine or whatever is, is one of the ones behind this, right? So, mm-hmm. like, which is, is a note taken directly from Indiana Jones from Temple of Doom. Oh, where, right, right. Where the, the Prime Minister of Pancot is one of the thuggy cultists, right? Right, right. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, there, there is, there's layers going on, but I don't want to get into it too much because. Okay. I don't want to give away. Yeah, no. Okay. I don't want to give away the next the next episode. <laughs> okay, let's uh, finish it up. Is it you want to finish it up? Sure. Okay. Uh, in the caves outside the altar, Mace feels this disturbance and runs to its source. He enters the sacrificial chamber in time to see the Fangal cultists take Jar Jar from his cage and place him before the slide on the altar. Mace vaults into the chamber, kicking his way past cultists. Taking advantage of the distraction, Jar Jar slinks away and nabs a cultist's spear. The damage he does waving the weapon is more incidental than deliberate. A cultist knocks him down the slide, but Mace uses the force to stop Jar Jar's slippery descent, all the while grappling with cultists. Though Mace is focused on combat, Jar Jar is insistent on rescuing Julia. Mace hurls the Gungan with the force to Julia's platform. With Jar Jar safely out of reach, Mace ignites his lightsaber and begins cutting his way past the cultists. The cult leader has unchained Julia and drags the groggy queen and the glowing force orb with him as he leaves the sacrificial chamber and into a narrow corridor. Jar Jar gives chase, but it's too late. The cult leader has made it into an escape escape shaft uh, that blasts... uh, It says shape. Escape shape. Shuttle, maybe? I don't know. That blasts away from the mountain temple. A later, Bakhtov Council reconvenes with their newly returned members. Joseph proclaims that the demonic cult of Melmoral is once again active, and that if the essence of the queen is stolen, darkness will fade across the stars. Jar Jar swears to find and rescue the queen with Mace's help. The Dagoyan masters cheer them on. The demonic cult of Melmoral is active once again. If they steal the essence of the queen, Darkness will fall across the stars. Misa no bombard warrior, but Misa swearing to find you, Sakwini, with the help of Misa bombard Paolo, mastering Mace. Jaja, maybe it's this place, but you're starting to make sense to me. 
Wow. Jar Jar's actually making some sense to Mace. That's pretty interesting. But hey, mm -hmm. th this whole kind of last few minutes of this episode, uh, pretty cool stuff. I mean, Mace is doing his Mace thing. I mean, uh, you know, he's a Jedi Master for a reason. And he, you know, this is what I like to see when they put these Jedi in these positions where he's actually he's actually fighting and then having to use the Force and kind of divert his attention to two separate things. And, and, and it's even difficult for Mace because he, he actually gets hit a couple times while he's trying to help Jar Jar. So he's using the Force. He's fighting these Degoyan guys. And not Degoyan, but the, uh, the cultists. Mm -hmm. And of course, we get Jar Jar doing his Jar Jar thing. I mean, he's, he's beating guys, and only by accident is he doing it. So classic, of course, Jar Jar stuff. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I know. It's a nice, nice, cool action sequence in the end of this. Uh, the lighting and the look of it, the whole the vibe, like we've talked about, the temple vibe is... Uh, I thought was really cool. So even in these episodes, just like the the Clovis stuff, you got the politics, but they were able to throw in some really cool action and some really great stuff with Anakin. They're doing the same thing here with with Mace and and a nice you know fight or sequence of action with him and and uh, Jar Jar. And uh, of course, the episode ends with that nice little exchange between the two. So there's a little bit of uh, camaraderie yeah. going on with these two now. So that was kind of cool. Uh, that's how it ended, though. Kind of on a cliffhanger. The the uh, queen has been, you know, has been able to escape with one of the cultists, and they're off going to another. So where is this planet they're going to? I I mean, we're going to find that out, too. I didn't see, I didn't hear anything about the planet they were going to. I don't know. What did you, you think, Mike? Am I missing something? Or we get that in the next episode also? As far as the planet, yeah, we'll we'll see it next episode. Okay. It's it's a as far as I know, it's a new planet. So. Okay, okay. So that how that's how it ends. That's the first of these this two part here. So uh, pretty good. Like I said, Jar Jar stuff. You never thought you'd watch a Jar Jar episode and be like, oh, it was pretty cool. You know, like I said, the the comedy worked. Uh, wasn't yeah. over the top or anything like that. It was cool seeing Mace again doing his thing. So uh, all in all, like I said, this like you said, Mike, this whole season has been really it's been good you know it hasn't really been a down a down episode yet like we've had in sort of the past where there's been episodes where you're like uh oh, you know you can kind of like oh there was really not too much there but there's always something out of these season six episodes you're like oh that was that was pretty cool so uh that's gonna do it though let's get to some you want to do some emails mike we got one email that uh, we that talks about the clovis arc so we'll let me uh read that real quick says, hello, Frontline's hosts. I'm a listener from a while back who was super excited to see the final episodes of The Clone Wars come to Netflix, along with the return of your awesome podcast. I write in to share my thoughts on the Rush Clovis arc. Of all the arcs in the Lost Missions, I think this one has been the most underrated. I really enjoyed it because I feel that it represented the crew of The Clone Wars finally perfecting a political drama storyline. In the past seasons of The Clone Wars... There was a huge contrast between the energetic action episodes and the more drab political storylines. Many fans of the show just wanted to get past the, the politics and get more action-oriented content. Through the seasons, I feel the creators got better and better at telling, the the, telling a compelling political story and inserting just the right amount of action to make it interesting. Finally, I think the creators have perfected that balance. This arc has had some astounding action along with serious tones and thought-provoking drama. I love the insight into Anakin and Padme's relationship, which has not been previously, uh, which has not previously been very explored in the series. I enjoyed seeing Clovis developed as a more than one-and-done character, and I liked the uh, debate, debatability of whether he was a hero or a villain. 
we had talked mm-hmm. about, I had talked about that uh, last couple episodes, Mike. After many Senate episodes over the last six seasons of the show, I was really glad to see the best ones ever at the close. While these episodes may not be impactful on the Star Wars universe as Yoda arc or the Order 66 arc, I have to say I found them no less entertaining. I appreciate all the work you put into providing great content for Clone Wars fans and look forward to hearing your thoughts on the next two arcs. And that's from a long-time listener, and he's, he's emailed into the show before, Jared Sly. So, Jared, thank you so much for taking the time to write in and tell us your thoughts on the Clovis arc. If you have any thoughts on the other arcs, definitely, and this goes for everybody, let us know because we love hearing your input. But he talks about the Clovis arc, Mark, and we had, Mike, and we had talked about a lot of the things that he pointed out, how, how they were able to mix the action and, and the political stuff very well. He talks about the relationship between Anakin and Padme. We explored that uh, big time, and I thought that was one of the huge, one of the big things as far as those episodes was was seeing that play out. Like, wow, this is really getting into the jealousy of Anakin. And I liked how they, they brought that to the front of those episodes. And, uh, you know, he just talks about this whole season six and how... I was uh, just been a great season, so uh, good stuff from Jared. He kind of he's listen. I, I think he's listened to our episode, so he know he knows what we think of the Clovis arc, and and he kind of has the same type of thoughts we do, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, I. I we kind of we talked a lot about the Clovis arc. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, and uh, and I definitely do agree that that this season was the best political story we got because it it was paced properly, right? And it was interesting. Something actually happened with the politics. Mm-hmm. I think one of the problems with with previous political episodes was that no nothing ever happened out of it right there were no results nothing mm-hmm. nothing moved forward or moved back it was always kind of this weird stalemate of things right like like so and so was killed but then does what really happens what does it really affect right. with this one there were real stakes and it was with a character that we already knew so first of all we didn't have to waste time introducing him we got to explore him more mm-hmm. And then second, we cared that, you know, it seemed like he was good and then he turned bad again and then he was good but bad and kind of twisted and you're like, well, is this a good guy or a bad guy? I right. can't really tell. Like, where's Clovis coming from? Right. <clears throat> and and I, I, I just think that made it more interesting because there was a character at the heart of the political art. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it... it, it the politics were kind of secondary to the story. There right, was a lot right. more going on. Yeah, right? yeah. And Jared mentioned that in, in his email as well. Like you just said, uh, we had debated whether Clovis was a you know a hero yeah. or a villain because you, you kind of you know he kind of wanted to do the right thing, but he was just caught between a rock and a hard place, and and he sacrificed himself to kind of I guess redeem himself at the very end. So, but yeah, Jared, good stuff. Thanks for emailing in, if, and don't forget. We got the Rebels podcast coming up, so when we finish the Clone Wars, we hope all you guys that are listening here will join us over at the Rebels podcast as that season starts. Hopefully, in just a just a couple more months, so we'll see what happens. But uh, next week, we got to finish up this Disappeared Arc Part Two, Mike. And uh, here's a quick little taste of what's coming up next week and 
in the previous section. Tell me exactly what you saw when you were being held prisoner by the cultists. It's like Misa said. The cultists took one of the Daigoyan masters and sacrificed him. Pisa got all crispy fried, and then they just stole the force right out of him and put it in a shiny ball. So the cultists are stealing living force and trapping it in a containment sphere. Yes. They said try to steal my living force too, but Yusa saved me. Hmm. And now they plan to do the same thing with the Queen. But to what end? The cultists couldn't exploit the living force like a Jedi or a Sith. I sense something else. A darker presence. Maxi big the force master in Mace, but how's are we gonna find the Queenie? She's still a prisoner. If the containment spirit has gathered enough of the living force as you suggest, I will be able to sense its location. If we find the spear, we will find So Mike, um here's here's Mace talking about and here's an interesting thing that you know they're collecting this force energy, but they can't use it like a typical Jedi or Sith could use it. So now it's making me rethink, you know, you know, is the Emperor behind us? I don't know, I guess I'll find out, but but you, they can't use yeah. it as as like, I guess, exploit it maybe as, as, as you could, as, you know, Jedi or Sith could. I guess they could exploit it a lot differently. So we'll see how it goes. But, uh, but as far as the episode, the next one, Jar Jar Binks, beloved Queen Julia, is off the planet Bardotta has been abducted by the bloodthirsty Frangal cult to fulfill a dark and ancient prophecy. Representative Binks and Jedi Master Windu must find the missing queen before the cult can rise to power. So it looks like we're talking about this cult here. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it ends up. You know, a two-part episode. We're going to get we're going to get right to the uh what's going on with this next episode. So looking forward to seeing how Jar Jar ends up and maybe the last time we'll ever see Jar Jar in Star Wars canon media, so we'll see how it goes, Mike. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. We'll we'll have to wait and see. I I do think that it's a pretty good bet that this is the last time we'll see Jar Jar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting episode. There's some cool stuff, and there's a there's a neat surprise. So all right, good stuff. So just wait and see. Good stuff. Good stuff. Looking forward to that. That's gonna do it for this episode, Mike. Yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, you can find us online at www.clonewarspodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. The username is Clone Wars, so that's at Clone Wars. And head over to Facebook, facebook.com slash Clone Wars Podcast to join our Facebook page. And uh, and you can find links to our group from there. And uh, and, and you can always send us mail, uh, mail at clonewarspodcast.com. So we love to hear from you guys what you thought about stuff. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's uh, that. That pretty much does it. That wraps it up for us this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week uh, with the uh, with the disappeared part two. Yes, see you guys next week. Well, another close to another wonderful show. Obi-Wan Kenobi here saying thank you for listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. The force is strong with you all, and it will be with you always.